Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here today, live and in person. Um, this Thursday, August 17th, 2023. Come to you each morning at 9 a.m. Central Time. And uh, uh, one note, if you can uh, indicate as such in the chat below, uh, or send me a note via email if you prefer, um, if it would be possible to move our daily prayer from 9 a.m. to 8 a.m. I know that's an early morning uh, for some of you retired folks. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm not saying we're going to do it. I'm actually pushing back and saying I'd, I'd rather not do that. Um, only because we've got uh, basically four years, going on four years now of momentum. Um, and I know many of you have ordered your day around this 9 a.m. start time. So um, I'd rather not change it. Um, but in the event that uh, perhaps that becomes necessary, then uh, I just want to get your feedback on that. All right. So moving it up an hour, uh, just let me know. Uh, and maybe, Or if, if that's your preference, actually, you can let me know that too. Especially those of you on Eastern time, perhaps. Uh, that's not members of our congregation, of course. All right, uh, let's see. Today we've got a lot of reading ahead of us, so let's uh, let's get after it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our psalm this week is Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. He will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Okay. Our verse is from... Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's say it together. No one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. Third article of the Creed. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. What does this mean? I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. First reading is from Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God, from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch viper's eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed a viper breaks out. Their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Uh, Notice here that uh, this is actually an accusation against Israel, which is um, hard to hear, especially when it's spoken of of kind of the abstract, well, not abstract, um, illustrative, you know, third person, right? No one, they, they, they. Uh, But notice in verse 2 and 3, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Um, I was, uh, there was a comment from, uh, mm, I won't say who, uh, but not that long ago, maybe a few years ago, talking about uh, the character of of the preaching of the law and um, asking why um, I use so much second person singular and plural, you and your right? Possessive um, and plural, you you all. And uh, they said, it sounds like you're, you're judging us, pastor. And of course, that is exactly what the law does. And the pastor is given to speak in the stead and by the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Which includes the word of judgment. So this uh, second person language is so, uh, what, indicting, uh, convicting, pierces to the division of uh, soul, uh, body and marrow, right? Um, the sharp two-edged sword of God's word. Um, So your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear, for your hands are defiled with blood. We should hear this as an indictment against us personally. And your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity, right? And then he speaks more abstractly about not just you, but you all, right? Not just us, but the way that um, we all have become, um, well, that which we loathe, right? The serpent, the viper, right? The one who makes for destruction and wasting. Right, who shed innocent blood, and thoughts are on iniquity. Right? Uh, and his point is, is that our sins do, will lead us on a path um, away from peace and towards uh, whatever the opposite of peace is, warfare, I suppose, or discontentment, or um, dissatisfaction. Right? 
So it begins with God's word, and then everything else uh, follows, um, even in this world, right? So without um, the conviction of God's word, without the conviction of you and you all and your uh, sins, mm, there can be no uh, reformation, not only of, uh, of the daily life of the Christian, but of the, of the church, um, but even of the world. And uh, to say that it could be accomplished by natural law or by reason is uh, really to deny what God's, uh, the limitations on those things that God gives in his word. All right, well, that's enough on that. But uh, yeah, pretty intense, right? Speaking of intense, I've uh, got a long reading here from, from Jesus. Matthew chapter, it's really just, I think it's the whole chapter, isn't it? Chapter 23? Uh, just about. All right. Remember, we're in Jerusalem. It's Holy Week. All right. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, right, so he's turned away from the scribes, or the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you um, to observe, that observe and, and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say, and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses, and make, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is in it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all the things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside, or cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, 
but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on them or on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Okay then, Jesus. Hard to hear, right? And this is an indictment um, against, well, Israel, but uh, especially her teachers. All right. Um, Where do the scribes and Pharisees sit, according to Jesus there? You see it in verse 1. He says they sit in Moses' seat. Um, So how should the multitudes, those whom he's talking to, treat the Pharisees because they sit in Moses' seat? Right? Moses' seat, by the way, um, has been set up by divine command. Right? It's ordained by God. It's an office ordained by God. Right? So they should observe the words um, of the that the Pharisees say and do them, but then we keep hearing this word hypocrite, right? Um, but uh, do not do the works of the Pharisees because right? they say one thing, um, but then they give the illusion of it, um, but through unjust works. All right, he's previously spoken this way, and that was back um, in the Sermon on the Mount uh, with the oh, I guess it's a parable, yeah, of the wise man and um, with the ho- parable of the house on the rock. He said, the wise man hears the saying, his sayings and does them, right? That's what it means to be wise, is to hear the word of God and do them. Even if heard, in this case, this is really helpful, um, Luther uses this text in the Babylonian captivity of the church, his work, and to say even when an ungodly man speaks God's word, if it's spoken in its truth and purity, then it is, um, it is still true, right? It's still binding, regardless of the character or the hypocrisy of the one speaking it. So you don't look to the life of the pastor to to vindicate the word, um, although um, the life of the pastor can get in the way of the word, but rather to the word itself. All right. So uh, Jesus accuses the Pharisees of doing what to men? What does he accuse them of? This is in verse 4. You see it there. Binding heavy burdens, right? Hard to bear upon men's shoulders, while they uh, will not move the burdens with one of their fingers. This should come to mind again back in... Um, Matthew 11, the saying from Jesus, come to me all you who are heavy and, or who are heavy laden, right? Who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11. So uh, where, what's the heavy burden that's been laid on them? The false um, law of the Pharisees, right? All right. So why do the Pharisees do their works? This is, again, giving us that uh, really precise def- definition of a hypocrite, to be seen by men. Right, and it gives a few examples. We have the uh, phylacteries being broad and the, gar- the edges of their garments being enlarged. Um, they love the best seats of the synagogues. What else do we have there? Uh, or the feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. And they like to be greeted in the marketplace and be called rabbi, or in my case, pastor. Yeah. 
But why should they not be called rabbi? Verse 8, there's only one rabbi, and that is Christ himself. Right? He is their teacher, and they, all who hear Christ, are his brethren, his brothers. Right? Same thing with father, right? Uh, and here maybe uh, you might think of the Roman church. Right? Don't call anyone on earth your father, spiritual father, because there's only one who is father, and that is the father in heaven. Again, Jesus emphasizes in verse 10 that we have only one teacher. Yes, he puts uh, men in play in his place, um, both to speak his word, namely the word of forgiveness, um, but to instruct God's word. And we call that the office of the holy ministry. But um, the office is only faithfully fulfilled insofar as the one in that office speaks Christ's word in its truth and purity. Hmm? So when the pastor um, steps outside of God's word, he's no longer actually serving as pastor. Uh, or potentially, if that's all he's speaking of, then he's serving as a false shepherd. Right? Same thing here. So it's a, it's a servant office, which Jesus himself says then in verse um, 11, right? Who's the greatest among you? The one who serves, not the one who does, but the one who serves, right? Um, and that service is in humility, not in pride and boastfulness, not out of uh, credential or um, how else might, might somebody think they, have, they deserve? Uh, they put in the time, right? Look at, I've, I've been, um, you know, I have decades of experience or something. No, it's in humility, right? I'm not worthy to be called um, your, even your son, right? Think of the prodigal son. Not worthy to be called teacher, but you have made me and put, placed me into this office. Um, Luther actually has, I don't know where mine went, somewhere in here. Um, he has a, a prayer to be prayed by the, the pastor in the sacristy. There's one in our sacristy here. You'll notice it. it's right on the door out to the altar. Um, it's often a prayer that I pray before uh, preaching, right? Um, I'm not worthy and to be called your servant, um, but uh, according to your will, accomplish in me what you desire, okay? Of course, Jesus is the, the chief example of this, right? Of being humbled and then being exalted, right? He himself was humbled even to the point of death, even death upon the cross to serve us. And then the Father exalts him in the resurrection and his ascension. All right, that's the first chunk. Uh, now we get into the next part. And this, the key word through this whole section, you'll notice it's repeated over and over and over. Woe, right? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. All right. Um, it's been a long time, but earlier in the summer, we read a, a, a section from the prophet of woes. So this is Jesus using that prophetic voice. And this was in regards to, um, it was right after the parable, or the, um, Israel as the vineyard in Isaiah 5. Remember that section where he said, oh, um, why then when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? Remember that? We, and we hear that every Good Friday as well at the chief service. Right after that section, he has a whole series of woes. For example, woe to those who join house to house, add field to field. Um, talk about what that means. Uh, woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink. Who continue until night till wine inflames them, etc. And uh, in that case, it's it's woes spoken against um, those leading Judah into sin and captivity, which certainly happens after the time of Isaiah. All right. Well, you can see the parallel then. Why is Jesus using the same language here? Because what are the Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees doing, but leading all Israel into iniquity? Right? And again, it comes after the parable of the vineyard of Isaiah, and Matthew is placing um, his woes after the parable of the tenants in the vineyard. So you see the parallel to Isaiah between um, Matthew, or to Matthew, I should say. All right. Uh, what's the warning in, then in verse 3? 
talking about the woes. They shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. And why don't they do that? Or how do they do that, I should say? They don't go in themselves, and they don't allow anyone else to go in. Right? So they're not interested in the kingdom of heaven, and they're not interested in letting anyone else either. Okay. Um, so what's the proper key to open and close the door to the kingdom of heaven? We've already had this. It was back in Matthew uh, 16. And uh, remember, this is the, the office of the keys, right? The proper key that opens and closes the door is the forgiveness of sins uh, that freed men from um, their burdens. All right. Then we have verse 14. We have another woe. There's a whole list of them here. I said it was going to be a little bit. This is uh, the Pharisees who devour, what, widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. They receive condemnation. Devouring widows' houses means um, taking whatever's left of their assets. Right? I think here maybe of the Roman church. Like I said, this is used by Luther uh, quite extensively in the Babylonian captivity. And you can see why. All right, third woe, verse 15, traveling uh, land and sea to win a proselyte and then making them twice as much a son of hell. Uh, The fourth woe is a little bit different. Um, Here it's not scribes and Pharisees, but it's blind guides, right? Blind guides um, Jesus used previously back in Matthew 15. Um, Do you remember how that goes? escaping me now again he said for god commanded saying honor your father and your mother no that's not the one i want oh there it is um but he answered and said every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted let them alone Uh, they are blind leaders of the blind and if the blind leads the blind both will fall into the ditch all right. Yeah, I'm sorry about the uh, fan here. It's blowing right on the microphone. I'll just turn it off. All right. Uh, this is probably making some noise in the background there. So blind guides. Uh, and that was in the context, Matthew 15, of Jesus' discussion about, um, look in there. How might we summarize that? They need to cleanse the heart, not just the outside. All right. And we'll, that'll come up here again. Fourth woe. Uh, where is that? Yeah, whoever swears by the temple, verse 16, right? That's the one we've just been talking about, blind guides. The swearing by the temple, it's nothing. Swearing by the gold of the temple, obliged to perform it. Jesus calls that uh, being a fool. Why? Because you're failing to distinguish the two things, the gold and the, the temple, which sanctifies the gold, all right? Um, and why is this? this may, maybe this is not quite as obvious. What sanctifies the gold in the temple? It's actually God, God who sets apart the gold um, for his good use according to his word and promise to Solomon. God has promised to dwell in his temple. That was his promise to Solomon, uh, given that they um, come to him in faith. All right? And then there's a second part, and this has to do with the altar. Same idea, though, right? Whoever swears by the altar, it's nothing. That's what they say. Uh, instead, whoever swears by the gift on the altar is obliged to perform it. Right? Obviously, you can see what the Pharisees and scribes are really after here earthly wealth, right? Gold and offerings, right? But again, they're fools, not discerning the altar of sacrifice from everything put on it. It's not the sacrifice that matters, but it's the promise attached to it, right? Same thing with the temple. It's not the gold or the temple that actually um, is the thing, but it's it's the promise that God is present there in his word for you. Right? 
Um, so then, uh, and you see that play out actually in verse 21 and 22. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. There you go. Uh, swearing by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it, right? So there's, there's a, a joining together there of the presence of God both in heaven and on earth, and it's his presence that sanctifies. Right? Um, this language of swearing, we're seeing a lot of repetition here from the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if these scribes and Pharisees, if any of them were present at that sermon. So there's a little bit of repetition, but applied differently here. Um, and we had that whole section about swearing in Matthew 5. All right, another woe. This time, uh, you can see verse 23 there on the screen if you're watching, and that is the woe. Uh, that they pay the tithe, but ignore the weightier matters of the law, right? So they give their offerings, but they don't actually attend to justice, mercy, and faith, which is um, the purpose of the law. Again, he calls them blind guides. Verse 24, straining at, out a gnat and swallowing a camel. I don't, you know, that's an interesting expression, isn't it? Um, swallowing a camel uh, that's significant. We've talked about camels before being an unclean animal, Leviticus 11. And uh, remember that was, Jesus used the example of the camel going through the eye of the needle back in Matthew 19, um, taught to uh, show us how an unclean person, that is a sinner, can only be brought to faith by the gift of the Father. It's, it's actually a divine miracle to, to come to faith. Think third article of the creed again. Hmm. Um, sixth, well, where were we? Oh, this is with the cup and the dish, verse 25, 26, right? Cleaning the outside, but inside the cup and dish are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Of course, this is a metaphor for themselves, right? So the Pharisee is clean. Uh, the blind Pharisee actually needs to clean the inside. Uh, Jesus spoke again about this previously, Matthew 15. See a lot of allusions back to previous sections here. And that was, uh, it's not what, what goes into the mouth that uh, makes one unclean, but what comes out right? Um, out of the heart come all manner of wickedness, he says, right? So that's what needs to be cleansed, the heart, all right? Seventh woe, whitewashed tombs, right? They're outwardly righteous, but, uh, or outwardly beautiful, but are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness, right? I've um, preached this before as describing um, those outside, who live outside of their baptism, outside of faith, um, in other words, not as Christian, um, are the walking dead, Yes, they seem alive, but inwardly, according to the word of God, they are dead. Or, in this case, appearing outwardly righteous, right, um, but are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Hmm. Uh, let's see, eighth woe. And there it is, building the tombs of the fathers, or the prophets, I should say, adorning monuments to the righteous, uh, righteous, and yet saying that they would not take the blood of the prophets. Of course, they really are like their fathers, right? Um, this is like, uh, this would be akin to the Union in the United States of America. Um, the Union forces um, naming military bases and setting up statues to uh, confeder dead Confederate um, generals and others in the South, right? It's like, well, wait a minute, you killed them. Why are you honoring them? You call them traitors. Why, why do you honor them in such a way, right? Uh-huh. Uh, it seems a little hypocritical, right? It's manipulative is what it is. Right? It's control control method and that's what they're doing too they are sons of their father they will kill they would kill jeremiah or barakiah uh, zechariah I should say son of barakiah just the same mm. all right um so here now is a, the allusion back to isaiah 59 he calls them serpents brood of vipers just like or have we heard this before 
when the Pharisees came out to John the Baptist, he also quoted Isaiah in that context. Um, and But notice that uh, they, they have accused Jesus of similar thing. That was back in Matthew 12 when uh, they said he uh, was driving out demons by the ruler of demons, a similar kind of language, right? Serpents, brood of vipers, right? That's a reference to Satan. And what does Jesus promise to do for them, to them? Is to send them prophets, wise men, and scribes. But what's he going to do to them? <laughs> to these apostles and preachers of the gospel? Well, uh, this is, they're going to do the same thing to them that, that they're going to do to him, right? Kill them, kill them, crucify them, scourge them in the synagogues, persecute them from city to city. Why? This will lead to the blood of the righteous being shed upon the earth, just like uh, the blood of Abel, and the blood of um, Zechariah, son of Berechiah, who they murdered between the temple and the altar. Uh, that story of Zechariah, by the way, is recorded in Second Chronicles chapter 24. This is with, uh, right after Joash repairs the temple, then Joash um, apost- falls into apostasy uh, when his preacher died, right? Je- Jehoiada grew old and was full of days, and he died, and he was 130 years old when he died. They buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. Now after, oh, this is the king. Now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. Therefore they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers, and they served wooden images and idols. Wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. See the parallel? So this is Second Chronicles 24. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the temple and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of, of the Lord, so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. Well, <laughs> well, those are fighting words, right? So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but killed his son, and he, as he died, he said, The Lord, look on it and repay. Right? So uh, Joash heard Jehoiada, the priest, heard the word of God, repented and restored the temple. And then when um, Jehoiada dies, he will not receive uh, the word from the rightly called son of Jehoiada, uh, Zechariah, and murders him in the very place that he had restored him. How's that for full circle? Well, um, ultimately what happens then is Syria... Assyria comes against uh, Judah and brings judgment against Joash and all of Judah. So why does Jesus say to them, all these things will surely, surely happen, right? How can he say that all these things are going to happen to the scribes and Pharisees? Well, he's just told you why. Because it's as it has happened before, so it will happen again, right? As God brought such judgment previous, you, it will happen again. The uh, an- antagonism of the religious types against the, the preachers of God's word um, that's consistent and it's continual. Um, you know, sometimes the uh, you know, and they use all sorts of pretense, but to say I, I reject God's word for X Y Z reason, but often uh, with great hostility. All right? Look at what all I've done for the church would might be one way you'd hear it. Mm. All right, so all these woes actually have their parallel in the Beatitudes back in Matthew um, five in the Sermon on the Mount, which is interesting. So you. Uh, Maybe these woes are the way that you should uh, interpret then the Beatitudes, not as um, instructions for Christian living, but actually a judgment against our own sinfulness, as they are used here. Okay. Like Isaiah, the prophet, condemning the unbelief of Judah, 
Jesus condemns these blind teachers who have urged the people to carry the full burden of the law and have given them no rest. These woes came to their fulfillment in the destruction of Jerusalem, which heard about on Sunday, and in the perpetuation of the false teachings of the Pharisees among modern Judaism. The woes still stand as a warning to the church. There are still those who desire to turn Jesus into a new Moses, who places a burden of new laws of behavior to supposedly mark a true Christian. The church is called instead to offer the rest found in the forgiveness of sins, won by Christ who is our teacher. He declares that in his death, resurrection, and ascension, those who live by faith will be exalted to the Father with him. Though he did not abolish the law, he has fulfilled the law for us. All right, let's sing our hymn for the week, The Church's One Foundation. Union with God, the three in one, 
and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. O blessed heavenly chorus, Lord, save us by your grace, that we, like saints before us, may see you face to face. All right. Well, sorry if we're going a little bit long, but... Uh, no. So be it. We have uh, another commemoration today. Today is um, the day that we remember and thank God for his holy servant, Johann Gerhardt, theologian. Johann Gerhardt. Johann Gerhardt was born in Quedlinburg in 1582. When he was 14 or 15, he was stricken by a serious disease and had to face the very real possibility of his own mortality. And in this time of spiritual turmoil and fear, he received comfort and counsel from his pastor, the famous Johann Arndt, author of uh, what we call today True Christianity. He resolved after his recovery to devote himself to the study of theology and the Bible. Gerhardt studied both in Wittenberg and at Jena, from which he graduated in 1605. He accepted an appointment by Johann Casimir to serve as superintendent in Heldberg. In short time, the gifts of, of the man were so evident that he was appointed the superintendent of the entire duchy. He remained in this position until 1616 when he became a professor at Jena and remained there until his death, despite numerous calls to serve elsewhere. His early brush with death and the great comfort he received from his pastor left their mark on him. Out of the furnace of that affliction, the Lord raised up a mighty servant of the word. Gerhard never let piety come unglued from dogma. This is a key for us. All right. Piety does not, um, is not separate from dogma. He was, first and foremost, a man of prayer. It breathes from start to finish in all his writings. Still, in his youth, he wrote his sacred meditations, which have remained a beloved and treasured classic of Christian devotional literature. Uh, uh, I think it's this one. <laughs> meditations of, on Divine Mercy. Is that the one? I have also another one, too. All right. Uh, where were we? His sermon collections, or postilla, are noteworthy for his consistent discovery in the Old Testament of foreshadowings of Christ. And those are... Uh, here we go. <laughs> the postilla. Volume 1, Volume 2. All right. <laughs> oh, all these things. Uh, I use those every week, actually. That's why they're right behind me. His longest work was his massive uh, Loci Communis Theologici. In the tradition of Melanchthon and Chemnitz, every doctrine of theology ha was traced to its roots in Scripture and its apprehension and misapprehension across the centuries of the Church's history investigated. Those are way over there, because there are many volumes. Unlike earlier the Lutheran theological books, Gerhard freely employed all the categories of Aristotelian philosophy. The result was a crisp, lucid expression of the doctrine of Scripture as articulated by the Lutheran Church. It ran some 22 volumes. Gerhard was truly a great teacher, a preacher of Christ, a man of prayer, who teaches us how to meditate on the commands and promises of God so as to be comforted in conscience and strengthened in faith. As a theologian of the Lutheran Church, he is usually ranked right behind Martin Chemnitz. He died on this day in 1637. O God, for the witness of your faithful servant, Johann, all glory and praise. And we pray. 
Almighty God, Heavenly Father, through the ministry and teaching of Johann Gerhardt, you have blessed your church and built up your people in the holy faith. Continue to provide to your church teachers who will proclaim your truth with zeal and with great kindness and love. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, we continue with prayer. O God, you declare your almighty power above all in showing mercy and pity. Mercifully grant us such a measure of your grace that we may obtain your gracious promises and be made partakers of your heavenly treasures. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray this day for the church and her pastors, for all missionaries, teachers, deaconesses, musicians, and other servants of Christ in his church, for the fruitful and salutary use of the blessed sacrament of the Lord's body and blood. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Pray today in Thanksgiving with Rachel, celebrating her birthday. We pray for the households of our church, especially this week with Bev, Michael, Greg and Sharon, Brianna, Leah, and Vicki. Pray for our catechumens, Christian, Wyatt, Aaliyah, Lydia, Charlie, Kaylee and Kimberly, Allie, Dasha, and Teresa. Pray for those ill receiving treatment or recovering, especially Joe, Melanie, Kelsey, Christopher, Marcy, Brad, Eileen, and Ron, Doug, Bev, Donna, Jim, Pat, Wendell, and Darlene. Pray for our homebound, Marcy, Marion, Dan, Paul, Dolores, Merlin, and Pauline. Pray for the missions and mercy work of the church, especially Sheboygan County Hispanic Ministry, our mission of the month. Continue to pray for the Tupper family that uh, they find gainful employment and housing. And we pray for Naomi, who will be having surgery. Um, it's now scheduled, actually. We had the, di- the final diagnosis yesterday, and uh, surgery is scheduled for Monday. Monday. So keep Naomi in our prayers. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, that's our congregation prayer for today, Thursday, August 17th, 2023. Whether you're watching or listening today, live, or um, later on in the day, or uh, sometime in the future, um, God be with you all and uh, keep you safe. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, I'll mention here at the end, for those of you um, who missed it, uh, the, we're trying to work out the school schedule and uh, right now is being proposed that their prayer be at the same time as this so that i would pray with the children at about nine o'clock at which case then we would need to do ours an hour earlier at eight o'clock i know that's an early rise for some of you um if you're able to do that let me know if you're not able if you have a preference there uh, it's fine um i'd rather actually begin the school day with prayer rather than have it later in the morning with the children so um, I don't know that it's necessarily going to change, but uh, in the event that we can't resolve it any other way, 
Uh, let me know what you think about having congregation of prayer at 8 a.m. instead of 9. All right. God be with you all, and I uh, hope to see you again in the morning. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.